Navigating the Storm, Episode 11, Gets Better Every Year. Hi, welcome to today's episode. I'm Anna Knight. I'm a bit of a nerd with more books than one woman could ever possibly read, and I'm also a personal development coach. I help women and non-binary people survive the storms that life throws at them, and come out on the other side stronger and more beautifully them than ever. On this podcast, I chat to people who've survived some storms already. I ask them about their stories, what they've learned, and the advice they have for people walking the path behind them. My guests aren't necessarily famous, although India Irie is always welcome to join me, but I'm here to have big conversations with real people about the things that matter to them. Today, I'm talking to Chantal Herbert, a friend and the person who gave me my first taste of podcasting when she interviewed me. Chantal is a DJ, radio presenter, founder of multiple companies, and she's in the process of setting up a network to support and empower black and minoritized women in the Northeast. Hi, thanks for coming on. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hiya, my name's Chantal Herbert. I am a 37-year-old, soon-to-be-finished MA student from Sunderland Uni, and I was studying radio production. And I also am the founder of Sister Shack, which is a black-led feminist CIC, which concentrates on promoting women in all walks of life, whether they're in business, whether they work in well-being, whether they work in DJing. It's just about pushing them to the forefront and I'm also the Young Women's Network Coordinator at the Angelou Centre. Wow. Oh, and I also, I also, <laughs> just to finish that, I also have set up a creative agency with my partner called Tits Up Creative. Which I have to say is my favourite business name of the year. Like whenever you come <laughs> up on my Instagram feed, I'm like, ah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> it like, works well. It. it really does. <laughs> so yeah, so you're a very busy person then. Yes, I also have an 11-year-old who I co-parent as well. So one week on, one week off. So I get a yeah. little bit of time to myself, but usually involves working quite a lot. But yeah, I also kind of see it as quite a lot of free time as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, if we start with Sister Shack, what mm-hmm. was it that drove you to set up Sister Shack in the first place? Um, Probably my absolute hate for the patriarchy. Yeah, just uh, my utter disgust at how women have to fight so hard to get to even like a fourth of where a lot of very privileged males get to on daily basis. So I DJ and... I was never really serious about it and I still haven't been, but it was just seeing sort of the male counterparts, which I would have put myself at as the same level and seeing their ability to just use their ego to sort of push themselves to the front and get jobs over people that they probably weren't really that deserving of in terms of, you know, their personalities. And I remember having a post on Facebook. So I was like saying about, you know, like women not being to be able to successful. Someone that I know that I'm no longer sort of Facebook friends with. Um, and I know him personally was kind of like, well, you know, women don't seem to like, he basically sort of indicated that we don't really try hard enough or, and I was just like, right, okay, then. And he was kind of like, well, you know, be the change you want to see type devil's advocate person. So I just thought, all right, then um, I'll do that at some point. And yeah, and I just thought, right, I'm going to start up something where women are my sole focus. And that's what I did. Like I, I decided I wanted to go back to university. 
which I've been thinking about for quite a long time. But with my son being so young, I just wanted to kind of wait a bit longer. So yeah, I decided a couple of months before I quit my job, I was like, right, I don't like my job anymore. I'm going to quit it. I'm going to start Sister Shack and I'm going to go back to uni and I'm going to go self-employed and just see what happens. So I did. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm kind of thinking we've had a lot of discussions in my Facebook group recently about mm. having the confidence of a mediocre white man. Yes. I wonder <laughs> if that kind of resonates with a little bit of your intentions behind Sister Shack. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, especially when someone you know is sort of belittling your whole experience and just sort of saying, well, actually, maybe it's your fault, not society's fault. And, you know, it's not a fault, but... Well, no, it is a fault. It's society's fault. It's society's reasons why women don't get to the places that they should. And I just thought, well, how dare you, like, belittle my whole experience and try and, like, rewrite the narrative to say that you're right and I'm wrong. I mean, I, I know this person and he, he likes to play, like, devil's advocate all the time. But I just thought, nah, like, I'm not having it. And I think, yeah, you know, I, he is a very, to me, a very mediocre white man. And I just thought, like how can you even try to school me in my own experience mm -hmm. and the experience of many women that I know as well and many women that I don't know personally but if enough of us are shouting about it it's got to be true yeah you know, we're not we're not like shouting fire when there is no fire there's actually something going on so I think my whole, one of my one of my focuses was just to kind of put my finger up to, you know to the patriarch and just say like actually <laughs> like we don't need you mm -hmm. and you know you get the odd comment of like Oh, well, what about the men? And you're just like, I don't, I don't care. Like, you've got enough going on. And why don't you do it yourself? If you're that bothered about men, why aren't you doing it yourself? Why aren't you setting up your... When there's an International Man's Day and they're like, oh, when's the International Man's Day? And you're like, you tell them the date and they're like, oh, right. Well, what are you doing for it? <laughs> why have you not set up your own event? Because you want a woman to do it for you. You even want yeah. us to organise your own International Men's Day. You know, it's like when they throw those statistics about men being abused and you're like, yeah, but who's causing the abuse to these men? What percentage mm -hmm. of these men are being abused by women? A very small amount. But actually the issue with abuse, whether it's men and women, is patriarchy. And that's what it boils down to. You know, you can't change all of these things without dismantling it first. And even down yeah. to things like, you know, racism. You can't, I don't believe that you can really start dismantling racism until you dismantle patriarchy. I think that has to come first. I think there's so much of those power structures, like you say, are so entwined into the patriarchy, like yep. homophobia and ableism and racism mm -hmm. and all yep. those things. The patriarchy is an overarching power system that just kind of keeps it, it all trucking along in the status quo. It is. It's all viewed from a male gaze. You know, when people putting down disabled people, you know, they're saying, oh, you know, I wouldn't have sex with them or I wouldn't do this. Or it's usually from a, a male gaze perspective. And a lot of that sort of male aggression that comes along with it as well. So when you've been doing things, I was going to say for Sister Jack, but I think it's a question that encompasses probably all of the many strings you have to your bow. What is the biggest challenge that you find you're facing as a queer black woman out in business and the world? Um, Just, you know, a small question like that. <laughs> Do you know what? I think a lot of it is my own inner demons. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest sort of issue that I face is like myself. And not to say that I am the cause of my own problems. I don't mean that. But I mean, it's all of the things that have gone through in my life, you know, whether it's been racism or issues with my personal life, you know, my father, all that kind of stuff. I think, you know, that has fed into me for so long now that I'm probably the reason why I've held myself back for so long. And I think I am my own biggest obstacle. But also as well, I think it's sometimes it just feels like you're shouting to the void and like nobody really wants to hear you mm -hmm. so I think it's a mixture of myself and a mixture of the way that society is constructed and who is at the top and who is at the bottom and 
you're already told that like queer people are at the bottom, women at the bottom, black people are at the bottom, but I've got all those intersections, intersecting factors <laughs> against me. So really, yeah, like, you know, how can I even begin to get to the top when it's not just one thing that's holding you back, it's many things. And these are proven things that are holding me back. It's not a case in my mind, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like I feel sorry for myself, like quite the opposite. I think I have quite a nice privileged life. I don't feel sorry for myself at all, but I know that there are things that work against me that means that I have a lot of a harder slog than many people. Mm -hmm. And is there anything that helps you keep motivated when you are in that place of going, oh my God, this is hard work? I'm super stubborn. So <laughs> that helps. I'm super yeah. extra, super dramatic and just really motivated. So I think that's what keeps me going. It's my own stubbornness and my own need for gratification. <laughs> Probably <laughs> that keeps me going, you know, my own need for that, like self gratification. Like I, you know, probably from like, I mean, I'm an only child and I grew up in like a single parent family and my mum had to work a lot and I didn't really have much love from like my dad's, my none from my dad's side at all. I've got a lovely family on my mum's side, but my mum was just always working and I was at my grandma's a lot, but she's also like a devout Catholic. So there was like things going on there as well. So really mm. I was the only person that kind of gave myself all the kind of love that I needed, which sounds like a proper like sob story, but no, I know my mum loves me and she looks after me and supports me, but she didn't have the time because of things like patriarchy and because of, yeah. you know, colonialism capitalism. and systematic, <laughs> yeah, capitalism and systematic racism and all those kind of isms and ists and things that go on. So I'm quite a stubborn person, but also I'm a person that always has to know like why. Like my mum always says that I drove my grandma mad because she looked after me quite a lot because my mum had to work a lot. And I just walk around the house like saying why, like constantly I had to know why. And if I didn't understand it, that wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, that's what keeps me motivated. I just always need to know why. I need to understand things. And I have like neuro issues as well. So like my ability to understand stuff can be a lot slower than some people's. So I think that adds to that as well. I'm always just like, but I don't understand like why I need to understand it. Mm -hmm. And if I can't understand something like racism or like why women don't get paid as much as men in some sectors and then until that is rectified in my mind, I'll never sort of stop pushing for it. Yeah, and I think that's such a brilliant blend. Like I got sent a study by, I think it was someone random like Eventbrite sent it through to oh, me right. okay. by email this week. But they were saying, like, what is the the biggest things that businesses need to keep going in these COVID-19 times? And I was like, all right, I'd love to know the answer to that. And one of the things that it said was curiosity, okay. looking at the challenges and asking why and asking, well, does it have to be like that? And then coming up with creative solutions to do it. But I think That's the thing that I love about what you just said is putting it with stubborn, because I think... <laughs> stubborn can sometimes be like this bad word right girls shouldn't be stubborn stubborn is a bad quality mm. and i personally love when girls are stubborn because like <laughs> to me stubborn is strength of your convictions that you've kind of gone yeah. no you know what this is where my line in the sand is and i'm not mm. budging when my work is as a speech therapist if a parent tells me that her little girl is stubborn i'm like yes like yep. give me more stubborn girls in this world definitely and you know it's okay for boys to be stubborn because it's just boys will be boys and you know oh they're just they're just being boys they're just being males you know they've got a lot of testosterone black women have testosterone too mm -hmm. so you know we we are allowed to be stubborn we're allowed to say no we're allowed to not take no for an answer 
I'm not very good at no and I'm not very good with authority. And I think that's been my overarching thing of since I was a kid. Like I've always been super bad with authority. I, I don't understand it. I don't understand why some people have more power than others. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I mean, I work, I've got my boss at my work and I understand why she is in the position that she is in, but actually she's my equal always. Yeah. She is in a position she is in because she is better at her job than I am. And she doesn't, she hasn't studied what I I have studies and vice versa, but she's no more of a better person and she doesn't demand respect if she's not giving me respect. And I think that's what like people don't understand. Like in my old job, I couldn't stand it because it was almost like, you know, you, you had these different power structures. And if you were in this position where you were a boss, you were better than somebody else and you had the right to just mess with people's lives. And I think that's kind of where I fall down on and not have the ability to work for a lot of companies because I just, I don't have this feeling of authority or hierarchy. So yeah, I don't work very well in the corporate world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was very much the same when I, before I was self-employed. To me, that is fascinating because like you say, so many of the the corporate world and businesses and even things like schools and the NHS, they're still set up in that hierarchical, I have more power than you and you have more yeah. power than me. So it doesn't matter how your job yeah. is, because as long as my job is okay and I'm pleasing the next person up the chain, I'm okay. No, and when my mum used to come home and she would be like, oh, you know, I'm a band E or band C or whatever at work. And I was just like, what do you mean? And I was talking about this someone the other day and like different bands at work. And I was like, what the hell does all this band E, band C, like what, what does that even mean? Like, so if you're on band E, you're higher up than someone in band A. And it was like, that's like labeling it like council tax, but these are people. Like, yeah. how can you like, how can you have a band A council tax, but also have a band A in a business? You're not a commodity. You're not, you're not a building. You're a person. Yeah. And to have all of these, you know, I can understand where you have like manager, senior manager, whatever, these words that you use to put everybody in an umbrella, at least you've got a title, but just, just be under a band. It's like, really? Like, is that we're all down to now? And that, and that defines how much we're worth in monetary value. It's, it's really messed up. I really, really messed up. Being a speech therapist, you have like, when you graduate, you're just speech therapist and then you're specialist and then you're highly specialist and I remember once I got to that level like really being uncomfortable using those words partly mm. in a I have feelings of being an imposter and oh my god if I call myself highly specialist <laughs> and I mess up what on earth are people gonna think yeah like you can't make mistakes <laughs> once yeah. you're a high specialist that's it if you make a mistake oh my god <laughs> exactly like there's no excuses yeah. then. But I think as well, it was looking at the rest of my team who I was working with. And we all had like really different groups of kids that we worked with. And thinking, well, that speech therapist over there is a band five. She's just, just a speech therapist. But actually, I couldn't go and cover one of her sessions because she works with kids with hearing impairment. And I don't mm -hmm. have the skills that she has. So why am I calling myself <laughs> one word and her another word where actually I'd be completely lost by a lot of the technicalities of her job? I have this real memory of just feeling it was almost like a full body reaction of going like, oh, no, I don't like it. But at the same time, having that little part of my mind being like, yeah, but like people should know I'm a band seven because like that means they know that I have worth in the world. And it's but then so I don't know what up, that means. Right? I don't know what that means. If you told me you're a band seven speech therapist, I'd be like, well, <laughs> what is that good? Bad? Yeah. I don't know. It means yeah. nothing to anyone outside of your circle. Mm -hmm. So it's it's meaningless. It's just a word and a number put together. 
Yeah. But I think it, like, to me, what it was is it's that thing of going, like, it's that comparison between your peers, isn't it? It's like, Mm. everyone knows that I'm good at my job, even though I feel like I'm terrible at my job. Like, when I was back newly promoted to that level, I was massively in the how on earth have I got to this level? But there was still that part of me that was in that competitive, you know, like the feeling when you're at school and you're going around after an exam being like, well, how did you do? Because it is ingrained in our culture is that idea of ranking ourselves comparatively. But, you know, as I'm already at the bottom, I'm already like the bottom of the food chain. So to me, I think I don't have that sense of it because I'm like, well, I'm always at the bottom. So how do I feel like I'm at the top when society constantly tells me that I should not have any self-worth anyway? And I think that, like, you know, when you come from that angle in the first place, you're grateful for anything. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, I know that like my career is actually like really doing well and like taking off. But I know that I'm someone that sits in my pajamas like all day and sometimes doesn't shower for two days. So yeah. two days plus. So I have to like force myself to like wash most of the time. But, mm-hmm. you know, on paper, I probably look like I've got myself together. But like my life is just a series of happenstances. And, you know, <laughs> I know I work. I know I work really hard to be where I am. Mm-hmm. But the thought of myself actually thinking that I'm better than somebody else or like that I'm a band to see you know, or a band, whatever. It just It's actually ludicrous. Like, I know what I'm like as a person. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, j- I just can't imagine feeling like that. And I never have. And I don't think I ever will. Yeah. And I guess for me, having felt like that in the past and stepped outside of that comparison framework and being like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to be me. It really can feel quite liberating. But it also mm. throws up all these things that when you go through the traditional career path, that you just kind of take for granted. And like you say, you look at them and you go, why do I rank all the people that I work with based on how good someone else thinks they are? And why must I work in an office five days a week? And why must those days of the week be Monday to Friday, not Tuesday to Saturday? And I remember when I started going self-employed, having this wonderful moment of just going like, oh yeah, I can just rewrite a whole load of these rules. If I want to do my admin in my PJs, okay, I'm going to do that. It was such a cool moment for me. I haven't had a traditional, even my last job, I haven't had a traditional like nine to five job since I was, gosh, like 20, 21, maybe. And I'm Mm. 37 now. No, actually, when I moved abroad for a little bit, I think I had that kind of job for about four months and I got, or one month and I got fired. Only job I've ever been fired from. (laughs) Um, And yeah, after that, I worked part-time and that's it. I've only ever had like a part-time job, which sometimes I would do like full-time hours. But no, I've always had like non-traditional like hours. Like I work like evenings, lates or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't like that kind of structure. It doesn't work for me. It never has and it never will. Maybe at some point I'll end up doing a full-time job, like if it's something that I really love, but I just can't see it. Like I absolutely can't see it happening. No, I do more of a full-time job now. I work, if I add up all the amount of hours that I work versus how much money I have, I am definitely on less than minimum wage. And I'm sure <laughs> most self-employed people would say that. Way yeah. less, probably half of minimum wage. But my work-life balance is a lot better in terms of like, I might not get out of bed till 11. Mm-hmm. I might not go to bed till one in the morning, but... I haven't had to just look forward to the weekend and yeah. There's pros and cons for it. Like my mum's just retired now and she's like not 60 yet. So 
she's worked hard over her life, but it's kind of paid off. Mm -hmm. But now with like pensions being how they are, that wouldn't work for our age group anyway. So I'm fairly sure we're working till we die unless some kind of socialist revolution sweeps in. Or some kind of windfall somewhere. Yeah. But you know what? I'll be all right with that. Like, well, actually, I probably wouldn't be all right with that. My body's like falling apart very quickly. Mm -hmm. But I feel all right at the moment. Like, I think going back to what you said before about being stubborn and being curious, I think even in COVID, I've been okay because... I know what my limit is, but I will still say yes to things and just do things because I quite like it. Mm -hmm. But when you say yes to things and you do things, it brings other opportunities. So you have to kind of pick your battles quite well. And I've just had to quit my radio job now because really it wasn't really fitting in with my life at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I just normally I would sort of keep going and tire myself out. But I was like, actually, this is not good for me anymore. Yeah. And I think you kind of have to know when to stop yeah, definitely. Sometimes it's about knowing when to say no as well yeah. as when to say yes. And like yeah. you say, it could lead to other things. But if it's not fitting your life, it's not keeping you in a good place, then actually it doesn't fit with where you're heading. It served my purpose for a while, but what I was getting out of it wasn't what I was putting into it. So, mm-hmm. and I was just starting to dread it as well. Yeah. You've got to know when to stop sometimes. That's a that's a big thing. Just, And I think as women, we don't, really know when to do that sometimes it takes a long time to set those boundaries and do that yeah definitely it's something that I speak to the people I coach so often is when you're in that space of I'm doing it because I've always done it because I'm Mm. keeping on doing it and you're there going like well you know you don't have to right and it can almost (laughs) be like a light bulb moment where they're like oh I don't have to no I was really struck by what you said of that feeling of dreading it. For me, that has always been a little bit of an internal compass that for years and years I didn't listen to. I'd have that feeling of dreading it and I'd be like, well, got to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say my life's got easier since I've listened to that voice because 2020, not an easy year to navigate. Mm. But I think what it has got is it's got healthier because Mm -hmm. I am listening to that and like you say getting curious going why am I dreading it is it that I'm exhausted is Mm -hmm. it that it's not fitting with my life is it that the people around me are dragging me into the wrong energy state is it that it's not on vision so it feels like a slog when you Mm -hmm. kind of listen to that little voice in your head going oh I really don't want to do it it can actually tell you so much about where you're at physically mentally emotionally yeah so when I quit my last job, I was there for like maybe seven, eight, eight years. And it fit into my lifestyle really well, but it wasn't like mentally challenging me anyway, but it, it fit me fine. It served its purpose. I meant I could go to festivals and do fun things. And But we had like a new boss come in and she flipped some stuff around and made the job really awful. Then I had a little bit of a breakdown, well, a full breakdown, had like some months off work and then went back to my job and was just like, I actually don't like coming here anymore. Like, I don't, what am I doing? Like, why am I in a place where she's made like one significant change, which was huge. And it meant that we moved offices and it just didn't work anymore. And I was going in just like absolutely dreading it. I thought I've never dreaded coming to this job before. The whole point of this job was because it was supposed to be easy and be chilled. Mm -hmm. And I thought about, I was going to stay there while I did my degree. And I thought, I hate it here now. And everyone else hated it there now because of her and another boss that we got. I thought, I have to leave. Like, I have to. Like, I've got nothing to go to, but I just have to go. Like, I don't care that I've got no job to go to. Like, I'll just go self-employed and just, I just see just see what happens. I'm, I've always been a very, like, see-what-happens person, mm-hmm. which doesn't really work for many people. But I'm genuinely not bothered. 
Well, I can say that probably because I've got, you know, I've probably got a good family, family behind me and if anything really bad did happen, I would get help. So I've got that privilege of knowing that I've got that backup and I know some people mm -hmm. don't have that. But in my mind, I'm just a very much like, I just don't, I can't. And my family aren't rich. You know, they couldn't support me like financially for long. They couldn't help me. They couldn't pay my, my rent every month or whatever. Mm -hmm. But emotionally, I've got that like backup and support. Yeah. I'm probably like the most risk taker of my family or was anyway. I'm not risk averse. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we should do more, take more risks. Like, you know, what is the actual worst that can happen to you? Mm -hmm. If the worst that can happen to you is fixable, then you really need to just go and do it. Yeah. You know, some people, it would mean that they were like homeless and what, then that's fine. Like if that is like the worst that can happen to you, please do not do that. But if the worst that can happen to you is that you lose a job that you hated anyway, and maybe go and have to work another place that you hate, then you might as well just try it. Mm -hmm. I've always found that if I take a big risk, it's always paid off. Like I can't say that I've ever had such a big risk that I regret it. It's all the stuff that I didn't do that I absolutely regret. And not yeah. leaving relationships early, not buying things that I should have bought or second guessing myself, you know, even down to like not buying a dress that I wanted to buy because I didn't think I had the money, but then I'd go and spend 20 quid on a night out, you know, mm -hmm. it's like priorities, which one will benefit you in the long run. Yeah, I legit got chills when you were saying it's the things that you didn't do that you regret because yeah. yeah. That is the unofficial anthem of my 20s, is all the things I didn't <laughs> yes. do oh and God. how much I regretted not doing them sooner. I know. Things that I totally, you know, even like, I'm going to say this because he probably never listened to it, but even down to like when I dated my kid's dad, I remember we were going to move abroad and I was thinking to myself, I don't really, I don't know if I even like this guy anymore. Like, why am I dating him? And then like, what? do I really want to be with him anymore? And then we were moving abroad and he was going to go without me. And I was like, oh, don't go without me. Let me I don't want to split up. I should have just mm -hmm. said no. I should have time would just let him go. I probably had a much better life because of it. But you know, it's all those things that you think, why oh, don't I just listen to my gut and just mm -hmm. go and do what I should have done? Why did I live for a man? Like, why did I do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just... Oh, peak relatable <laughs> I look back at my own story and have a moment where if I could go back to past me it wouldn't be don't take as many risks it would be don't play it safe yes you know I had my own job I just finished my degree I had like a place to live like I had like a successful life like what was I doing <laughs> what was I actually doing like why would I you know what it's about it's about that need and want and when you've mm -hmm. had like trauma and all that kind of stuff and you just want to be loved yeah but then you know I, like, it's always a thing of like where would my life be now it might not have been any better you just don't know mm -hmm. but I, I'm the 20s me the 30s me now knows it would have been better but the 20s yeah. me at the time didn't know um oh and, I relate know. to that so much <laughs> and according to my sister the 40s us is going to have an amazing time so okay, like cool. I'm, I'm looking totally fine to with that I'm close to it so my life Life gets better every year yeah. in terms of like my like career and like you know now I date my lovely girlfriend and being sort of like my true self so it's definitely getting better and when my kid's getting older he's getting moodier more of a teenager he seems to just not even he just thinks I'm the most idiotic person in the world but you know what <laughs> it makes me sad times sometimes but at least I'm okay with that it just means he needs me less which is quite nice yeah. um I think it's part of the mum experience when you've got oh. teenage boys those teenage hormones have got a lot to answer for yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah still... that is one era I would not go back to oh if my you gosh. paid me all the money in the world my teenage years can stay well behind me just my teenage years and my, pretty much my whole of my 20s <laughs> they can jog on like so yeah 
the other thing that I wanted to ask you about before we mm. finish is mm-hmm. your Young Women's Network that you're mm. in the process of setting up. So tell us kind of what are you hoping to achieve with that? It's a young woman's network for black and minoritized women. So it's about giving them training, opportunities, the confidence to be, to navigate as a black or minoritized young woman in the UK and possibly beyond. So it's kind of almost like a, you know, like a resource area where Mm -hmm. they can come to us and, and also have a safe space as well to talk. So there'll be like hub meetings and I've had one already and the women have expressed that it was nice just being a safe online space where they could actually see people that look like them and just for them to just be able to work out how they want to navigate through their life being a black and minoritized woman because it's quite you know it's quite difficult there aren't many safe spaces for us so I think the big thing that um, the network wants to do it it's geared towards activism mm-hmm. and that's one of the real things about the network that that my bosses and myself really want to push so we've got some like black feminist leadership training coming up awesome. which we've um which we paid someone to do and it's about giving women the resources to be activists but in a positive way in a way that they understand so they need to understand the sort of historical context of what it is to be an activist and where it comes from and you know not just coming from a place of anger or disillusion or sadness actually it needs to have like a framework and a focus Mm -hmm. but also it's about giving women opportunities and also pointing them into the right direction because there's a few things you know at the Angela Centre we can't do so things like business advice I could talk to them about businesses that I've set up but actually I'm not trained to give Mm -hmm. ideas on that accountancy and that kind of thing and really in the centre we don't have that but I'm building partnerships with different companies so for example, like one of the girls came to me and said, I, I really want to start up a business. I need some funding. Does the Angelou Centre do that? And I was kind of like, well, no, we don't. But it just so happens that I've spoken to someone from another company who do give that. So I've sort of set them up and they're liaising with each other now. So it's about these women having a place to go to where they can come to the network and say, this is what I need. And we'll say, OK, here are the places that you can go to to get that. And we're really interested in setting up partnerships as well. So we really want to have, you know, partners that can help in the ways that we can't mm-hmm. but the network is very much in its infancy because I've got to set the whole framework mm-hmm. so I'm trying to find like key areas where what the women want so it's to do with like well-being as well so like self-care but from a you know a black and minoritized woman's perspective because yeah. a black woman's needs and minoritized woman's needs are very different to a white woman's needs mm-hmm. and also culturally as well you know whether it depends on what part of the world you're from you know what religion you are the way I see it is the website will have many different areas depending on what you want to do so you know like when you go to like the job center and it's like a job board and you go to this part to go here and this part to there so that's what the network will be it will just be a whole sort of rounded support package I guess for young black and minoritized women yeah and I love like you say that it's not just the safe space and it's not just the practical support and the partnerships and it's not just the well-being I think to survive in any kind of activism you need the rounding of it I think a lot of activists in 2020 have really burnt out on that compassion fatigue outrage fatigue like it's tiring and they don't really understand it as well you know it's Mm -hmm. like I was saying this the other day like my tutor when I did script writing he said to me you know you can't change the conventions of a script until you understand the script first Mm-hmm. So you have to go back to the basics and back to the beginning to understand what you're doing. Yeah. So, you know, it's like it's the whole adage of like trying to run before you walk. If you, mm-hmm. you're going to hurt yourself. So like with activism as well, you can be angry and you can be disillusioned by it. But actually the way you're doing it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good way to do it into, for your own self. 
Yeah. So looking after yourself, you know, you can be angry about colonialism. You can be angry about the patriarchy. You can be angry about racism. But if you don't understand where it even really comes from, then what exactly are you angry about? Which mm-hmm. aspect of it are you actually angry about? Yeah. And how are you going to dismantle it as well? Exactly. Like you've exactly. got to understand what, how it works and what's wrong. Exactly. Before you smash it into tiny little pieces. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I'm still learning about it every day. I'm angry and I'm tired. It's exhausted me at the start of it. Mm-hmm. But I'm 37. I've got like a few more years on some of these people, which isn't to say that I'm better than them. But, you know, I've had more experiences. That's just because I've had more years on this earth. Whether yeah. I mean, they might have had more experiences than me in other ways, but it just so happens that I've been here longer and I would have seen more things. And from what I've got from like the network is that already people have said to me like, oh, I wish I'd had that when I was mm-hmm. their age. And I wish I'd had that too. If there'd been a young network for black and minoritized women, I would have had a much better experience in my life than trying to do that by myself. Yeah, I'm super excited, not just for the impact that these young ladies are going to have on the world, but also for them themselves. Yeah, It feels radical imagining for a generation of activists with that level of support and structure. And I know. They've got, aunt, like, they've got aunties oh to go to. You know, they've got aunties to go to that will like give them hugs and, you know, I mean, you know, like emotional hugs. And mm-hmm. they can also just have... Ins- not, not, I don't like the word inspiring because it makes me feel really uncomfortable. Like the thought of like, I'm such an inspirational person, you know, I just, I just makes me like die inside. But you know what I mean? Like you, having someone to like look up to and know that they've had many, many problems and they're open and honest about it. They're not just kind of like, oh yeah, it was really tough, but you'll get there one day. It's like, actually, you might not get one day. It is really tough. I'm not going to promise you that you're going to come out of this unscathed, but mm-hmm. just know that whatever happens, there's someone here to like look out for you. And if I'd have known that when I was a 20-year-old, I'd have felt a lot better. For me, inspiring always has connotations of, you shouldn't have been able to achieve what you did. Well done, you. And I quite often reframe it to mentoring, like someone who's walked the path before so you can see it's doable and you can slipstream in their energy, but at the yeah. same time, they're not sugarcoating it for you. Because, yeah, like you say, as much as it would be lovely to guarantee to all these women that they were going to have smooth rides and <laughs> the patriarchy would just crumble at their feet. Like, yeah, yeah. that's not how it it's works. It's not going to go like that. But I, I genuinely think that some people think that, like, you know, if they go on these protests and they do these marches and they lobby things, it's going to get better. It's like, Well, history tells us that that is not always true. It takes a long time. Like, you know, you going on a march is absolutely amazing. And I think we all should be doing it. But don't have any illusion that that is it. There's a lot of work. And in our lifetime, we're probably not going to see it. So you've got to work hard for the next generations after us. And that's what people did for us. You know, they worked really hard to get to where we are. But we were only probably like a fifth of the way of where it should be. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take probably hundreds of years to even start to dismantle it. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for letting me interview today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Always a pleasure. I'd love to have you back on the show when the network's a bit more established and hear how you've got on. I'm hoping that you all came away like I did, fired up and ready for a bit of healthy activism. But one thing that Chantal said stuck with me for days after our interview. She said, you can't change the conventions of a script until you understand the script first. Now while she was talking about activism at that point in the conversation, I ended up thinking for days on how that's true for most things in life actually. If you've ever tried to change a habit, 
you'll know that it's one thing to make a commitment and another to actually make it happen. What we need to do is learn how to recognise what's actually beneath the surface. For example, if you're trying to cut down on internet shopping, you can make a budget and aim to stick to it, yet actually find yourself online at 2am looking at a vegetable dicer that somehow feels essential to splurge for next day delivery on. Not that I'm talking about myself, except that I definitely own a vegetable dicer. In those moments, what I've learned to do is, as Chantal said, ask why. Why is it so important that I buy it? So it's quicker and easier to cook dinner. Why does that need to be quicker? So I don't have to stand up for so long when I'm cooking. Why don't I want to stand up for that long? Because I've had a really long day at work and I'm actually exhausted right now. You can see that when we get curious, we can get to the root of what's happening. And that's when change happens. Which, as a coach, is where the fun starts too. Next week, we'll be talking to Rose Scott. Rose is a mental health nurse with many years' experience, and she's also our producer Mal's lovely mum. We'll be chatting about mental health and what she's learned from her career, her life, and through raising our Mel into the fabulous human we know and love. See you next week. Navigating the Storm is hosted by Anna Knight and produced by Anna Knight and Mel Robinson.